Another episode of the Mormon. Feminist Mormon Housewives Podcast. Housewife. I am your fabulous host for the evening, Lindsay. And tonight we are continuing our series of a year of polygamy just in time for Valentine's Day. As you will see from tonight's episode, where we cover the story of Elizabeth Davis Durfee, when polygamy is practiced, not all wives are created equal. Now, that might seem like a no-brainer, especially since the marriage hierarchy sometimes is already built on a number. If you're the first wife, you have more rights and privileges. You might be the head wife if you're, as opposed to the second wife, etc., etc. It's not that way in all marriages, but in some, and especially as uh, early Nauvoo polygamy is getting worked out, it becomes complicated as far as the nature of relationships go, as we know. But Elizabeth Davis Durfee would be an interesting kind of wife, a wife that we call a, quote, mother in Israel. She would be a wife that Joseph married. She was older than Joseph. And I think that women like her played into the reputation that polygamy was only for the widows and the women who were not married, because Elizabeth would be older and some widows like herself, mothers in Israel would be married to polygamous men. Uh, we're going to get into the mothers in Israel thing in just a minute, but I just wanted to say that as we go through this series, you're going to see that the sealing doctrine, as it develops, as Joseph is working it out, as Brigham takes it over, it becomes a lot more complex and complicated. But we've already talked about how Joseph had sealed some men to him I hear arguments sometimes saying that Joseph was not sleeping with his wives. And Brian Hales makes a lot of these arguments in his book because there is really no evidence to, to prove this. And he's right. You're not going to find a sex tape. You're not going to find pictures. Those things didn't exist. And especially for the time period, we're lucky that what we do have said in um, affidavits and things like that, saying that Joseph did um, have sexual relations with his wives. He didn't with all of his wives, and other polygamous men would also not have sexual relationships with all of their wives. The reason why I bring this up when I'm talking about being sealed to other men, which we call the law of adoption, I just would like to point out, for anyone that wants to make the argument that there was no sex involved, I mean, that completely disregards the whole purpose of polygamy and the whole DNC 132 but let's say that that's the case. If these were just dynastic marriages where Joseph wanted to marry someone so he could be connected to them eternally, that kind of rules out a lot of our, a lot of the issues that we have. For example, Joseph would later uh, seal himself to Heber C. Kimball's 14-year-old daughter, Helen Marr. Now, because of her age, because it's controversial, a lot of people said, well, he only did that because he really valued Heber C. Kimball and wanted to be sealed to his family and they wanted their family to be sealed to the prophet. The thing is, if Joseph wanted that, he could have easily sealed himself to Heber and taken care of that because the men started sealing themselves together all the time. Brigham Young was famous for having spiritual sons in the Utah period and, and we'll get into that. So if anyone wants to contest me on that and tell me that I'm mis 
understanding the law of adoption. I'd really, I'd really like you to push back on me. But as far as all my understandings go with the law of adoption, it was the same sort of dynastic relationship to be tied together for eternity. It gave certain spiritual privileges, uh, spiritual priesthood lineage type political structures in place. And I just don't understand why Joseph would have to marry someone if he could be sealed to the man in the family instead. So it's a joke that it's an early form of gay marriage, but uh, maybe that's too inappropriate. So let's get on to Elizabeth Davis Durfee. Elizabeth was born on March 11th, uh, 1791 in Riverhead, New York. She would be the sixth child of a family of seven kids. And we don't know a lot about her life outside of Mormon history. We only have a sketch and an outline, so this is going to be a pretty short episode. We do know that she married her first husband, Gilbert Goldsmith, a sailor, on April 13, 1811, at age 20. 1811, that's early, early in um, the, the century. The couple had twin boys, and in November the same year, one of the twins died. Only a month later, she was still a young mother, and on December 24th, on Christmas Eve, her husband, Gilbert, was sailing in the New York Harbor when his boat capsized and he drowned. Her next marriage would be equally as unlucky. She married Joseph Blanchett Brackenbury, an English immigrant around 1818, and they also had two sons born in 1822. The couple moved to Ohio, and Elizabeth gave birth to three more children, and one died at birth. On April 10th, 1831, the family was all baptized into the LDS church by John Carl and Solomon Hancock. Elizabeth's husband, Joseph Brackenbury, was ordained a high priest and gave a speech at general conference that really impressed the crowd. Soon after, they called him on a mission to New York. And while he was there, he died from bilious colic. So a horrible way to die. According to Compton, the history of the church describes his death as a poisoning from non-Mormons who boasted that, quote, Mormon elders had not faith enough to stand poison, end quote. So she would lose two husbands. She was now a widow for the second time at age 40. And not only that, she's got all of these kids. She travels to Missouri. She suffers a lot of mob persecution. And she meets Jabez Durfee in 1834. She was now a widow with four young sons and an older son. Jabez was also a widower, his wife having passed away earlier that year. Their family combined. They got married, and they had 10 children between them. Yeah, so they got married in 1834 in Clay County, Missouri. Elizabeth and Jabez moved in, and I hope I'm saying that right. It could be Jabez, Jabez, it's J-A-B-E-Z. They moved to Nauvoo in 1839. There, Elizabeth participated in the newly established women's organization, the Relief Society. So she participates, which is a big deal, because the Relief Society was an influential group in Nauvoo, and she would be said to be influential in the group as well. On April 14, 1842, Elizabeth was administered to by Society President Emma Smith and her two counselors. Later, Elizabeth, quote, bore testimony to the great blessing she had received when administered to by President E.S. and counselors Cleveland and Whitney. She said she never realized more benefit through any administration that she was healed and thought that the sisters had more faith than the brethren. End quote. As a response to some concern about women giving blessings or healings, Joseph preached in the Relief Society meeting, quote, If the sisters should have faith to heal the sick, let all hold their tongues. If God gave a sanction by healing, there would be no sin. End quote. So Joseph basically said, 
hey, if it were if these sisters are giving each other blessings and they're healing and it works, then God is ordaining it. So stop calling it a sin. In the spring of 1842, Elizabeth, now 51, would marry Joseph Smith. Like Patty Sessions, who we talked about earlier, um, she was another older wife. Elizabeth was said to be a mother in Israel. So I brought up the term at the beginning of the podcast. The mother in Israel, uh, we hear that every once in a while to women who, uh, like I think Sherry Dew has used a term saying that if you can't have kids, it's okay, you can be a mother in Israel, which means you can help raise the church. You can help raise the children in the church and feel that you can participate. This mother in Israel was a little bit different. Joseph intended for these mothers in Israel to help, I guess, help prepare young women to enter into plural marriage. So their job was to go sit with them, talk to them, get them ready for the proposal. Now, Joseph had been doing this work previous, and he would still do some of the work to prep some of the women to prepare them to hear this doctrine. But he starts recruiting some of these older women, including Patty Sessions and... Elizabeth. So in the spring of 1843, 19-year-old Emily Partridge recalls being approached by Joseph, and he says, quote, if you will not betray me, I will tell you something for your benefit. Then he asked me if I would burn it if he would write me a letter, end quote. Emily declined Joseph's letter, thinking it was not pro- it was not a proper thing to do so by taking a letter from a married man. Soon after, Elizabeth invites Emily to her home, and Emily remembers, quote, she introduced the subject of spiritual wives, as they called it in that day, and wondered if there is any truth in the report she heard. I thought to myself, I could tell her something that would make her eyes open if I chose. Emily kept quiet, but later noted, I learned afterwards that Miss Durfee was already a friend to plurality and knew all about it. On March 4th, Elizabeth again met with Emily. Emily wrote, quote, Mrs. Durf came to me one day and said Joseph would like an opportunity to talk with me. I asked her if she knew what he wanted. She said she thought he wanted me for a wife. I was to meet him in the evening at Mr. Kimball's. Aided by Elizabeth's promptings, Emily meets and marries Joseph Smith that same evening. So you can see the first meeting she meets with um, this young girl, Emily, to see kind of where her mind's at. She's asking her questions. She's pretending not to know about it. Like, wow, have you heard about polygamy? Do you know if that's even true? Wow, what do you think about that? And kind of get um, a gauge on that. And then later on, when she thinks she's ready, she invites her and says, okay, now something really important is going to happen to you. The prophet wants you to be his wife. So go go over there to the Kimballs and let's do this thing. And it's cool because I'm already a wife and I know that this is of the Lord. That's obviously me paraphrasing. Elizabeth was said to be good friends of Emma Smith's, although it's most likely that Emma did not know of the marriage since she didn't know of any of these marriages at the time. When Emma Smith was sick in October of 1842, Eliza R. Snow wrote the following poem to Joseph Smith, who was in hiding, about Elizabeth caring for Emma. Quote, Sir, for your consolation, permit me to tell that your Emma is better. She soon will be well. Mrs. Durfee stands by her night and day like a friend and is prompt every call, every wish to attend, end quote. Elizabeth and Emma Smith also had the famous conversation reported through Zina Huntington, where Elizabeth asked Emma if she believed Joseph Smith was a prophet of God, and Emma answered, quote, yes, but I wish to God I did not know it, end quote. On October 1st, 1843, Elizabeth was one of the few select people, along with a few other prominent women, to receive their endowment and enter the Holy Order. This was not a ritual given to many, as you probably learned in the Nauvoo episode. She was initiated without her husband, 
And Todd Compton calls this a first sign of spiritual separation. So when I say all wives are not created equal, this is an interesting thing that people in these practices would do. Brigham does this. Joseph Smith does this. Other men do this. And the distinction seems important for both spiritual and legal reasons. People would be married to someone for time and then married to someone for eternity. And you could be married to someone for both, for time and eternity. But some of Brigham's wives, some of Joseph's wives would be only time and some would be for eternity. Some would be for um, only certain purposes and some would not. And so we're seeing that happening with Elizabeth too, that she is sealed to, to Joseph for eternity, but her mortal husband is not part of it, even though he was said to kind of be a prominent man in the community. Because she was privy to the sacred nature of the Holy Order, she also made garments, and William Clinton recorded that his robes and garments were made by Sister Durfee. So that's kind of cool. When Joseph was killed, Emma Elizabeth was with Emma when the bodies of Joseph and Hiram arrived at Nauvoo. And it's so strange because both of the women lost a husband that day, even though Emma didn't know it. The bodies were taken to the mansion house and washed and then transported to the Nauvoo house, and they were buried in the basement. Later that fall, her husband, Jabez, helps carry the bodies of Joseph and Hiram back to the back to the mansion house. If you've seen anything following this series or know anything about the Nauvoo period, you'll notice the fluidity of their relationships at the time, and many of the marriages were not monogamous, divorces were common, and people shared spouses. So although she continued to live with Durfee while she was married to Joseph Smith, she would separate from him in 1844 after he was killed, and soon got married to Cornelius Lott, who also entered into other marriages, including that of 15-year-old Jane Rogers. Lot's daughter, Melissa, had also been a wife of Joseph Smith. Elizabeth and Cornelius started west with the majority of the saints. Elizabeth's son, John, wrote, quote, We went with Brigham as far as the Missouri River, and then we saw so much of their manner of doing business that we went back to Quincy. Cornelius Lot, he, there's not much information on the turn of events, but we do know that Elizabeth went as far as winter quarters and then left Cornelius Lot and headed for Quincy and did not return back with the saints moving west. Cornelius continued on to Utah, eventually taking five plural wives. In Quincy, Elizabeth renewed her friendship with President Emma Smith and stayed with Benjamin and John Wesley until the end of her life. There are reports of her traveling to Colorado, Utah, Kansas, California, with the Wesley family, and there she was said to join the RLDS Church, even though its president, Joseph Smith's son, Joseph Smith III, was heading a campaign there to prove that his father had never practiced polygamy. So it's interesting because she had been in two polygamous marriages at this point and been married to now five men in her lifetime. Elizabeth most likely died being hit by a train around the age of 85 years old in Kansas. So what she did is not all that uncommon. A lot of people did not like Brigham's leadership. A lot of people did not feel like Brigham was doing things right, and so they were really disenchanted. We like to think that right now when we always say, there, there are so many people leaving the church, this was common. People have always been leaving the church. They've been leaving the church since the church started. It's just how it goes. She was one that joined the RLDS church, and I don't know how she interpreted her ceilings. I don't know if she considered them to be legitimate, especially since the church was so so adamant and religious for so long and fighting the aspect of polygamy. So I don't know how that all played out. But it's an interesting story. So if you're interested, you can look up more on Elizabeth Davis Durfee. And again, I would tell you to buy the book in Sacred Loneliness. It's a great place to start. Thank you. And leave your comments in the comment section at Feminist Modern Housewives Podcast. Talk for you.